Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. On today's episode, it is episode eight of The Last Dance. We're doing a reaction breakdown piece with my hoops honcho friends. We're coming at you right now with my buddy, who's as close to the Smith Brothers as he is to me right now, Mike Joy. How are you, pal? Doing good, doing good. And wearing the Horace Grant goggles from the first championship, brought from the Orlando Magic Championship, Aaron Hagel. Look at Snaz. Hi, Joey. Hi, pal. <laughs> so let's hop in, you guys. This is a, an amazing episode, an emotional episode for me personally. Let's just start in a general sense of MJ's perceived slights throughout all of his career. And we're going to start it off with this. Have you, uh, have you guys ever Le Bradford Smith someone in your life? <laughs> uh, I, I, I have not. <laughs> concocting a story in your head to get you motivated to beat the other team. No, I've never done that. I'm trying to think and honest to God, you guys, I actually kind of came a little close. It was sixth grade. It was little league. <laughs> and there was a guy who actually went on to become a pretty decent friend of mine later on in my life, but we played during the regular season and I was really good at little league back then. Some would say I'm a little league hall of famer, but that's a documentary for a different day. <laughs> This guy punched me out, I think, like four times in a row once. And that just never happens. I was a contract-driven dude. I went home. I cried my eyes out. I, like, couldn't believe it. And for the rest of the season, I swear to God, I hated this kid. Like, we would show up to play the game before, and their team would be on the field. And I would just – I wouldn't even be watching the game. I would just be watching him on the field the <laughs> entire time, hating his absolute guts. And then I swear to you, we made it to the Little League World Series, game two. He's on the mound. I smack a home run and two doubles off the dude. We bat around the inning, so I had a home run and a double all in the same inning. And I tell you, when you Le Bradford Smith somebody, it feels kind of good. Now, I'm not saying that you should take that into every single endeavor into your life, but I'm just saying right now, if you ever get the chance to Le Bradford Smith someone, you should go for it. Joy, have you ever gotten a chance? I have not, but at least in your scenario, I'm totally okay with that. At least you didn't tell people like, yeah, he said, good game, Joey. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, he yeah. not only did he like have to create the scenario in his mind, he then perpetuated by lying to people. So, I mean, the thing is, if any other person we knew whose name wasn't Michael Jordan had said these kind of stories, we think they were psychotic. <laughs> I guarantee you, though, because, uh, you know, around that time, sixth grade was starting when I was starting to get crushes on girls. And if I was having like fantasies of like a girl like wanting to hold my hand or kiss me or something, that dude on the other end was definitely the guy that was stealing her away from me in my dreams. And I was doing everything I could to get back to her. But just like an incredible story. Congratulations, Le Bradford Smith. You are officially in the Wikipedia story. You're on the NBA career map of a dude who, unbeknownst to your own self, pissed off Michael Jordan so much. And then just so happened to have to play him 24 hours later for, uh, for you to drop 37 in one game and the next game for MJ to score 36 and a half. I mean, guys, these are just stories that like, these are stories that you just can't make up. You know what I mean? And if you are making them up, you're just, it's a basically some kind of fairy tale. Like, and this is the thing that we grew up with and people are now understanding like Michael Jordan, his life is a fairy tale. It's pretty crazy. It really is. Like, some people just become great winners. You know, Tom Brady has got the whole rookie out of nowhere thing, became the Super Bowl, but, you know, still had his ups and downs and his questionable moments and stuff. But, man, Jordan, every step of the way, every obstacle, every perceived slight, 
uh, always came out on top. It was pretty great. What are you guys' general thoughts on episode eight? Uh, well, for me, like the, yeah, the return was, was, was the, the big thing. Cause for me, I remember that moment. I remember where I was at more than I remember when, where he, where I was when Jordan retired. Cause that was, you know, that was such a big story. Um, quick story with that. I played volleyball in college. We had a tournament at Indiana state, Larry bird, take from French lick. And uh, we <laughs> played, we played one match and then we, you know, we knew Jordan was coming back. So they had a TV like in the cafeteria or whatever. So, uh, all my buddies on the team were from Chicago. We went to watch, you know, Jordan come back. It was crazy. Second quarter comes along. We're like, oh, shit, we got a match. And all three of us looked at each other like, fuck it. So we skipped the match to watch Jordan play. Our captain comes in there like, where are you guys at? Let's go. We're playing. We're like, uh, we can't. Jordan's back. He's like, what? He's like, fuck it. We're like, sorry, we, we, we can't. So we, we actually didn't go back to the match. We had to forfeit the rest of the tournament. They were so pissed at us. But none of us cared. Michael's back, baby. You're like, hold on, hold on. He's four for 19 right now. Just, just hold on a second. <laughs> Pretty incredible. Seven for 28 in that return game for 19 points. Um, if you're ever going to hear Rusty, uh, if you're going to look up Rusty in the dictionary, I think that was probably it. Yeah, and I, I can't tell you just – those were some of the greatest like bricks I had ever seen shot in my life. Cause I was just so happy that he was back. Just the form, like the rise up jumper, the turnaround jumper, all of them were clanking, falling short, terribly offline, but God, they looked so beautiful that day. It was just, it was absolutely glorious. And then I do love the, uh, I do love the fact in true MJ fashion. What was it? Five, six days later, hits the game winner against the Hawks, and then a couple of days after that, drops fifty-five against the Knicks. So, didn't take him too much longer to get warmed up. Um, Mike, do you remember where you were uh, either the day that you heard that he was coming back or the day that he did come back against the Pacers? You know, forever emblazoned in my head is that moment where, uh, um, you know, uh, well, it's, it's it's a little bit before the the facts with "I'm back," which just it still gives me goosebumps thinking about that. But the that whole it's iconic, and they show it in the doc where Scotty is pointing to the camera, like you know, motioning Michael to come back as he lifts up his Jordans. Amazing. So yeah, that 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 image uh, that image is the yeah just seared into my head, and like yeah, that when that "I'm back" kind of spread across all the news media publications. Like, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps right now. And the best part about it was it was back in an era where you couldn't be refreshing your Twitter every 10 seconds. So there was a lot of your own imagination that was running wild during the time. You'd hear the one report that, oh, he showed up at the Birdo Center. What does that mean? What's going on here? you got to wait till the news or the Tribune comes out the next day to read. Wait, wait, he practiced with the team? You know, what does that mean? What's, that? What's all that happening? You know, so there was still, when he did finally make that fax of I'm back, you know, that was still a huge surprise, even though a lot of people throughout Chicago knew that for, you know, the better part of what, seven to 10 days, he'd been kind of with the team and working out with them. And still that feeling of just, just getting, getting that, that part of my life back was just absolutely incredible. I will be honest. I didn't feel at the time that they were going to go on and win the title, but with Mike, I never counted him out. But at the same time, I was just happy that, that, that he was just back in that uniform 45 or no, go ahead, Higgs. Yeah, I mean, I think one of you guys said it maybe on the last um, podcast, but when he when he retired and he said, I'm not coming back, I 100% believed him. I really didn't think he was coming back. So when he did, 
it was so surreal that I didn't care he only hit, you know, he was 7 to 28. I don't think anybody cared that he was 7 to 28. And I remember after that, you know, Choi's showing our buddies from high school, our group of friends. I remember talking and saying, all of us talking and saying, you know, we really got to watch all of these games now. Every game. Back, you know, every, every game. single game we got to watch it. And I probably didn't watch every game, but I sure as hell watched way, way, way more games than, than I previously did. Yeah, we're not like we're not missing a second of this. You know what I mean? And from pers- for some perspective on that retirement thing, I mean, yeah, it was very plausible. Plausible, you know. Jordan has set the bar now. You know, for all the people that are modern sports and like how many titles can LeBron win and how many should cope. You know, Jordan set the bar with six back in that day. You know. It was about how many you how many you won in a row. No one was gonna ever try and go for you know the the ten or whatever that Bill Russell had, and for back then like you know three three was kind of enough to be considered the greatest player of all time, especially winning three in a row. Something that Bird Bird and Magic hadn't done, and something that hadn't done at that time for like twenty five years. So from our perspective, yeah, I mean it was very 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 possible and plausible and probable that he was not going to come back after he retired that first time so to have him come back again that's i think when the whole like you start running through your mind you're just doing the the bulls thing you know what i mean like minimum eight pete you know what i'm saying like that's when all that stuff sort of kind of came back and just like oh god what is possible how long is he gonna play for what's gonna happen next so on and so forth and it was great for a while right until they met the orlando magic in the second round of the playoffs that year. And I do remember some very vivid memories of uh, not being able to watch all those games. I remember I watched the first couple of games and I don't know if you're, what your guys re- recollection is, but those games were absolutely brutal to watch. I mean, absolutely humanizing from Michael Jordan's skill set level. That magic basketball team was so talented. They were hitting threes from all over the place with Nick Anderson, Dennis Scott, Anthony Hardaway was a matchup nightmare for them. You know, Shaquille, all the best they could do was just, you know, throw Wennington at him, you know, throw Longley at him, just try and like soak up fouls and keep rotating him on different kinds of people. But that team was a handful for them. And they had a, had a Michael Jordan that didn't have his skills and still thought that he was Michael Jordan, which to be honest with you was a detriment for that team in this series. I mean, I, I, I don't even know how to phrase this exactly. Like, Jordan thinking that he was Jordan at that time probably lost them that series. If he had come back and been like, all right, I'm going to ease my way back in. You know, I'm going to try and be the guy that averages 16 points and 10 assists a game. They might have had a shot at it, but he came back and was like, I'm going to shoot 25 shots a game because that's the only way I know how to play. And I remember looking back, it really cost them the series and it was a real eye-opener for a young Bulls fan about like, you know, is this the Michael Jordan we're going to get moving on? You know, at the time, it was really, really, really scary. Go ahead, Mike. Well, yeah, and the, the thing I forget, I mean, right, like I think it's seared into everyone's brains that, that Nick Anderson steal where he comes from behind and gets that steal, right? But the thing I forgot about that game was they still had a chance to win. And, you know, he has what should have been a last-second shot. And, you know, of all people, Michael Jordan, like, passed it to Scottie Pippen and threw it behind him. And he like, wow. So, um, yeah, and, you know, it's just – the thing is, too, is, like, right, he comes back. What did he have? Like, it was, like, 17 games or so left in the season. So it was pretty much – a brand new roster. I think Scotty was the only person that was still on the roster from the three first three feet team. So much less him not being in game shape, much less him not really finding his role. Like there was no team chemistry there. I mean, you can't just jump back in 
and then expect that it was going to be exactly like with repeat teams. Yeah, go ahead, Higgs. Well, I was going to talk about uh, Horace. You know, I mean, the guy that won our first three championships helped us win. Now he's on Orlando. And, you know, the end of that series at, at home, when he's going crazy and they're lifting him up and all that stuff, I was so pissed and so many Bulls fans were pissed because it just felt like he was a traitor. Like going to the other team and then, you know, hooping and hollering and all that stuff on the court. I were being so pissed. And last night watching that, for the first time ever, I had a totally different take on it. And that was, I don't blame Horace for leaving. He played the year after Michael left with Scotty. They, they tore it up. And they had a chance to extend him or re-sign him. And Krause, being the, the fucking cheap bastard that he is, didn't want to pay him for helping him and the organization win three championships. So I guarantee you, Horace is like, fuck you, not to the Bulls fans or to his ex-teammates. It's to Krause and, and, and Reinsdorf or whoever else decided not to, to re-sign him. So I actually don't care that he did that now. I did back in the day, but watching that last night, like, good for him. Fuck, fuck him, man. I'd be pissed too. And there's two things with that, right? Like, when that Bulls team showed up to play the Magic, they had no one to guard Horace Grant. Uh, so he completely tore them up all series. And in that last play that you mentioned, Troy, before, you know, it's amazing, uh, it's amazing what time off will do to you where, you know, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, one of the greatest tandem duo, whatever you want to call it, in NBA history, perhaps in sports history, one of the best. On that final play, Jordan's trying to pass to him in the corner as Scottie's trying to cut. They're not on the same page. You know, there's no rhythm to it. They hadn't played with each other in a long time. And in those crucial moments, it's those crucial details that really rise up to the surface, and that's what ended up biting them in the ass. Go ahead, Mike. I just want to say that Aaron 100% nailed it on the head with, the, with his Horace Grant commentary. Um, I, yeah, I wa- kind of knowing that we were going to talk about that, I rewatched that as well. And, you know, I think obviously our, our lens is, 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 you know, shaped by being Chicago fans, right, being Bulls fans. And when you really watch that, I mean – his teammates put him on his shoulders. It's not like he jumped on the shoulders. And two, when I watched it, all he did was he pumped his fist three times. And that was it. He didn't like talk any trash. Like Aaron said, he wasn't giving the finger to the crowd. He wasn't mouthing off to the bench like BJ did when he was on Charlotte. All he did was pump his fist three times. Here's a guy, as it turned out, only team that beat Michael Jordan in the playoffs in a decade. I mean, think about that, you know, and then obviously as we learn, you know, obviously Michael was a little bit of a tyrant, when it came to practice and so forth. So I think, you know, anybody in that situation would have done the, had the exact same reaction. Yeah, I agree from the human side, but as a Bulls fan at the time, that was like the Lambo leap to me. Um, 100%. That, was, that was octopus on the ice with the Red Wings. Um, I could not have hated it more uh, <laughs> and, uh, and hated it with a passion. And you're right. I think it had more to do obviously with just the bittersweet nature of, you know, why do we have to let Horace go? You know, we don't have Michael Jordan on the team, and now you can't pay Horace Grant money to keep that around? Like, what are we doing? What are you talking about? This is crazy. And um, it was kind of – looking back, it is cool to see him sort of get that revenge and see former Bulls that were cast aside have their tiny little moments in the sun, if you will. Uh, but, man, at the time, it hurt. It hurt big time. Go ahead, Aaron. No, I was going to say, it's just like, you know, another running theme, once again, with Kraus. <laughs> Making, doing smart things and then doing dumb things, you know. Then again, who knows? If we had re-signed Horace, you know, who knows if we would have won three more championships. And to be honest, I, I did like having Dennis on the team. It, yeah, it would not have precipitated Rodman coming to the team. Go ahead, Mike. 
Well, this is the perfect moment. And as we talk about like this transition here that I, I've been wanting to ask Aaron this question, um, because uh, recently uh, Jalen Rose recently confirmed that in that 94 season, because we've always heard that talk about, well, Scotty was potentially going to be traded to Seattle for Sean Kemp, right? And he confirmed that uh, on draft week, Jerry Krause had phoned him to ask him, hey, how interested or not would you be if we draft or traded for you uh, to be on the Bulls in conjunction with like this trade for Scotty and, and Sean? So I've been, I've been wanting to ask Aaron, like, would you have had, ex- like, I don't think our listeners know, but Aaron is a huge, was a huge Sean Kemp fan. So would your head have exploded if Sean Kemp was in a Bulls uniform? And then with that being said, if Scotty was gone, once again, we talk about butterfly effects, would Michael have come back if he wouldn't have had Scotty to play with? Uh, I don't think, yeah, I don't think he would have wanted, would have wanted to join Sean Kemp as much as going back to Scotty because, you know, Sean Kemp was a dunker just like Michael, but bigger. Uh, yeah, my head would have exploded if Sean Kemp came to Chicago and I got to see him play all the time and him being a little closer to home in uh, Elkhart, Indiana. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Sean Kemp was my, my favorite player in high school by far, and I was also a huge Sonics fan by extension. So it was a little weird to watch the, uh, the, 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 the fourth championship last night going against Seattle, bringing up some uh, memories from when Troy and I were high school and our buddies watching – watching the series of me showing up in a Sean Kemp Seattle Sonics supersonics jersey and my friends not being too happy about it. Um, I have it on good authority from someone that told me once that actually used to work in the organization at that time that Michael knew about the Sean Kemp trade and he was he would have been okay with it. Really? Would, he would not have. Really? It was phrased to me that it didn't seem like he was going to be elated, like he obviously wanted to keep Scotty, but if it was a situation that had to happen, he would have actually been cool and, and look, was looking forward to playing with the Rain Man. Because keep in mind, the Rain Man at the time was in his prime. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It was on the straight and arrow and was clearly one of the most athletic players uh, in the game, and that was something that still appealed to Mike. Obviously, it wasn't going to cut into any of his shots. It wasn't going to take away anything from what he did on the perimeter. Um, so that's what I was told at the time, that Mike hmm. knew about it and would have been okay with it, even though he did want to keep Scotty. Um, and I'll be honest, this, this part of the Bulls' legacy and this part of the documentary, it brought up my first tears, guys. And here's why it happened. Um, so... Let's just go back to 1995, right? Young Joey is, uh, let's just say, a a pimplied, bull-cut-haired-wearing, English muffin monster-eating little Coca-Cola boy. Just drinking the Coca-Cola, eating the English muffins all day, uh, and just watching the Bulls and loving it. And all I got to say is that I remember... When they lost to the Magic, it was one of the worst. And I, you know, the Bulls used to lose so infrequently that I used to cry after losses, especially when I was way younger. It started to taper off a little bit more as I got older. But in fifth grade, when they lost to the Magic, I cried. I cried big time, cried all night, crying myself to sleep. And I love sports. So typically as a kid, and I'll still do it even now to this day, that when a team loses, I'll kind of, my mind will be up racing all night long thinking, you know, God, you know, what's going to happen next? Is this the end of MJ? Is MJ even good anymore? Um, you know, how could I fix the team? What could we do? Free agent acquisitions, trade acquisitions, all this stuff. And I'm, I just remember that night I was up all night just thinking about it and crying and just being really sad. 
And the thing that brought tears to my eyes last night is that literally, according to this documentary, while young chubby English muffin Joey is crying, his hero, the hero of his life, is literally going to his personal trainer, I will see you tomorrow. And I'm going to immediately begin remaking my body and remaking myself to get back to the level that I was accustomed. Now, you know, for a guy like Rob Gronkowski, he goes out and he has a seven-way with porn stars the night after a big loss of a playoff game. You know what I'm saying? Guys go and blow off some steam. Guys go to Vegas. Guys don't even care. Guys look at their IP portfolio, whatever. But, like, my hero, the greatest basketball player of all time, the dude that I worshipped while I was in pain as a Bulls fan, literally could not wait to get back onto the court to remake his body, remake himself, remake his game, and come back and eventually give me three years of glory. (laughs) And my wife looks over at me, and I'm, like, breaking. I'm, like, seriously, like, tears are streaming down my face. And that part absolutely crushed me. And that that is the synergy. That is the connection between Bulls fans and Michael Jordan, where everyone's like, yeah, we worshiped him, all that other stuff. But you know what? He deserved it because he was the dude that when the chips were down, and he was breaking our heart that very next morning. He was back to, like, re- like correct that mistake. And I just, I that's just one of my favorite things about this documentary right now is the fact that he said that to Tim Grover, um, and uh, it just gave me chills. It broke me down. It was amazing. Go ahead, Mike. Well, and then that leads into, I mean, my favorite part of the episode: the Space Jam summer, which. Guys, I, I could have watched an entire episode on that. I, I really could, much less. I could have watched like three or four episodes on the Space Jam summer. So I'm hoping that's something we can uh, jump into. Yeah, we're, we're actually let's jump into the Space Jam thing right after I read a little, uh, read a little something about our sponsor from today's show, BetOnline.ag. We all know the story. There's not a lot of organized sports going on right now, especially in America. No NBA, no NHL, no MLB right now. Question mark, maybe coming back. But that doesn't mean you still can't get your bet on because betonline.ag has hundreds of places to wager, including their online casino with poker and blackjack. But that's not all you can bet on. There's Big Brother. There's Survivor. There's American Idol, which is wrapping up next week. There's a lot of esports tournaments. There's a poker series right now where you could win $750,000. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. That's the Believe promo code, M-Y-P-O-D-100. And they will give you a welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Check it out today on betonline.ag. Back to the pod. Hop in, Mike. Actually, Joey, we do have some things we can bet on. And uh, this is what I'm, uh, I'm going to ask you guys for uh, the last two episodes for this episode. Um, we've seen, obviously, a lot of members of the 97 squad being interviewed. Yet to be interviewed, though, are a handful of names. And I'm curious what you guys think the odds are of these guys being interviewed at some point in the last two episodes. Um, first, Luke Longley, which I'm actually surprised he hasn't been interviewed yet as a starter of that 3 P team. Um, Randy Brown, Jason Caffey, the infamous Rusty LaRue, and Dickie Simpkins. And I'm not going to throw in Keith Booth or David Vaughn because they only played a handful of games that season. So wondering who you guys think is most likely to appear and who definitely won't appear. 
to the uninitiated, it sounded like you added a couple of weird sex positions in there, but trust us, everyone, those were actual basketball players. Uh, Dickie Simpkins is not a move that you try with your significant other, nor is the Rusty LaRue. Those were guys, <laughs> or, the Ran- or the Randy Brown. Those were actual <laughs> players. Those were actual players on the team at the time. I got to be honest, the Luke Longley thing is a bit surprising. Super. There is a uh, – if you look him up on Google right now, he there's like weird grainy photos taken of him of what he looks like now from like 25 feet away. I believe he's actually a coach, and I think he coaches still in Australia. And if I remember correctly, his hair is long, insane, and fabulous. I mean, it's it's something. I mean, I don't know why he didn't do it in the 90s. I don't know. He maybe he was trying to keep it clean, keep it tight. But uh, apparently, Luke Longley's hair game's uh, on point right now. I would hope it would be him, right? I don't need to hear from Jason Caffey. <laughs> no, Higgs. or Simpkins. Or yeah, I was gonna say, who do you want to hear from? Hey, uh, yeah, Luke Longley is 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 surprising. That's probably the one, but the other ones I don't really give a shit about. Yeah, we've a, a little light, <laughs> a little light on the Ron Harper right now. Just a little light. I think yeah. there should be a little bit more. I mean, the dude did start on all those teams for many years. Um, seems like every single time uh, they're walking on the court or doing something, Scotty's uh, fucking with Ron Harper. He's like even throwing a basketball at him. Or he's like screaming in his ear, or you know what I mean, or he's giving him a wet willy. There's always seems to be something going on. So I would like to hear a lot more from Ron Harper. Choi, do you got an inside? You got an inside bet on who do you think we're going to see out of that group? I I don't. I mean, exactly. Like Luke Longley would be the logical choice, and especially if he's still involved with basketball, that's even more surprising uh, that he hasn't been interviewed. Um, I don't think we'll get Randy Brown because if there was ever a moment to have a Randy Brown soundbite, it would have been the uh, Jordan is God in terms of the tickets. Uh, so. I can only think Luke Longley would be the uh, uh, un, um, uninterviewed player uh, on that roster. Yeah, no Tim Floyd. Really weird. So I uh, <laughs> wanted to ask you guys a question. Um, I'm going to pose it to you like this, and I'll give you my soft reason why I think this is true, and you guys let me know whether you agree with me or not. Is it possible that the movie Space Jam is the most important moment in not just Chicago Bulls history, but in Michael Jordan's legacy history. And a couple different reasons, right? One, defeated the Monstars. Very important. Got to save the planet Earth. Got to give Sean Bradley back his powers. But two, they built him a basketball court where he could go there and remake his game on his own. He could also, they did it in LA, right? So he can invite all the athletes to come out and scrimmage and play with him and give him that edge back. I mean, is it possible that Space Jam, the fact that he was shooting that movie, gave him that experience and that opportunity to not only completely change the trajectory of making the Bulls organization a three-time champion to a six-time champion, but to turn Michael Jordan into someone that, that had that push and that drive to win those last three titles. I mean, I mean, are we giving it up to Lola Bunny right now? Or, I mean, this just <laughs> seems like this seminal moment in his career that is obviously off the court. But, I mean, is his career the same if he didn't shoot Space Jam? Open to hear your thoughts. Mike, go ahead. Uh, well, I, I, I still think about how bonkers of an idea that must have been at the time. You're pitching the greatest basketball player of all time with the idea that, hey, uh, you're going to be um, abducted by aliens. 
It's going to be, you know, uh, a cross hybrid live action animation film. And then you're going to beat a bunch of monsters. What do you think, Michael? We'll, I mean, have, the, we'll have the greatest soundtrack the of pitch. all time. The pitch, yeah, you know, I, it's like crazy. I remember ahead, reading that and being like, what is he doing? He's going to do a, a movie with Bugs Bunny. I'm like, this is bad, dude. This is going to be a huge disaster. A, obviously totally wrong. B, to this day, I've never seen Space Jam. Oh, my God. Oh, he doesn't wear really? Air Jordans, and he hasn't seen Space Jam. Okay. Well, we're, well, we're to be this, fair, this was the summer, summer going into my sophomore year in college, and I was kind of over cartoons at that point. But, yeah, I've never seen Space Jam. But I do want to see those practices. Somebody somewhere has the full, the full practice. I would want to see that uncut. That's what I want to see. Uh, yeah, a lot of interesting. I mean, yeah, we saw Juwan Howard in there. We saw Reggie Miller in there. Go ahead, Mike. Well, and I think you were uh, just about to lead into it, but I think the most interesting person that showed up to that practice was Dennis Rodman, right? I mean, this is probably where that relationship got formed that ultimately got him signed by the Bulls, you know, uh, that coming season. So, um, yeah, I'm just thinking, you know, it's like, and the other thing about that too, right? It's like as big of a name as Michael Jordan was, it was very savvy on his part because um, being a children's movie, it opened him up to a whole new audience, right? Like, if, if he could be opened up to a whole new audience, this was the way he could do it. I mean, it's just, like, it's pretty amazing. And just to think what Aaron was talking about, that, 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 that basketball facility, the Jordan Dome that they called it, like, that thing was huge. Like, from that aerial shot, it looked like it took up, like, most of, like, Warner Brothers, like, parking lot. So, yeah, it's, it was kind of seismic to me. I, I'm, I'm stunned that Aaron hasn't seen Space Jam yet. Unbelievable. <laughs> unforgivable uh, <laughs> i've seen that one yeah <laughs> jordan's not in that though or maybe he is i don't know uh no but for me like personally the i mean the, the it's hard to quantify right because you've got air jordans you've got the be like mike you've got 92 where everyone else in the globe just falls in love with michael jordan and then you've got the retirement and then somehow some way Doing the movie Space Jam, which is not only just a huge hit, uh, you know, full disclosure, I was sixth grade in sixth grade at the time, so I did go see the movie. I did enjoy the movie, and I still own the movie. I'm in my 30s, no big <laughs> deal. Uh, but it, the, the movie was a huge hit. The soundtrack was a huge hit. He somehow was able to get back into shape, put on some muscle, reclaim his spot you know, among the scrimmaging, all the other stuff, just kind of saw where he was, and then launched this three-year run where not only they went on to win 72 games, becomes the greatest team of all time. He then officially, I think at that point, becomes the greatest player of all time after he wins that fourth title and just kicks off this third run that just sends him into a completely different stratosphere of fame if that was even possible before that happened. It's just super weird. I mean, all the stuff we've been talking about this whole time, if Space Jam doesn't happen, I mean, are we really going to be like, you know, that summer, Jerry Krause went up to Michael Jordan and handed him a spare key to the Birdo Center. And said, <laughs> Go at it, kid. You know, and like Jordan goes, thanks, coach. I mean, Jerry, you know, that, 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 that doesn't happen. Like the, the fact that it was just a perfect, it was almost like a serendipitous moment of, hey, I'm shooting this goofy Looney Tunes movie. Oh, well, but also uh, you're going to build me a basketball court so I can become the greatest basketball player on the earth again. And I'm going to kind of do that through all these different scrimmages. Just, I don't know. I think it might be the most important moment in Chicago Bulls history. Go ahead, Mike. Well, and we talk about like chasing legacy. Is it any coincidence that LeBron James feels the need to make the sequel to Space Jam? I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah. I mean, 
let's be honest here. You're not going to top the original. Uh, I don't really understand what it's exactly going to do. Sure, it might give a little bit more of a reach to the kids and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't know. It seems unless they completely remake it and do something different, I don't see how it's a success. Go ahead, Aaron. I think before they make a Space Jam 2, there needs to be an Uncle Drew 2. More, more Drew. <laughs> Please, yes. <laughs> I think there needs to be a Celtic Pride 2 as well. We Blue gotta, Chips 2. I mean, honestly, uh, this is a weird tangent, but there hasn't been a good basketball movie in a really, really, really long time. I mean, it's tough to do. But uh, I don't know. Is it blue chips? That was like 20 years ago. That's tough. The way back with Ben Affleck. Come oh. on, Joey. <laughs> right. Semi-pro was pretty good. Yeah, semi-pro was pretty fun. White Men Can't Jump it's pretty, is probably my all-time favorite basketball movie. Um, Hoosiers. Hoosiers. Come on. Hoosiers. Hoosiers. Come on, Joey. Let's nope. not get crazy. It's not You're not Hoosiers. a Hoosiers guy? It's, no, I'm a, white, oh. I'm a white man can't jump guy. Oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah. I get it, though. I get it. I get it. Hoosiers. It's uh, it just it just doesn't age that great. When was the last time you saw that movie? Oh, last, I see it like once a year. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. Oh, okay. do you really? Yeah. Okay, so you're oh, locked yeah. in on like that. I watch Space Jam once a year. We'll we'll trade. We'll we'll uh, we'll trade <laughs> get around to it sometime. sometime. Yeah, yeah. Well, guys, we're gonna round up to the end of our episode eight, Last Dance Reaction Pod. Any other thoughts you guys want to jump in and get in there? Any of the stuff that sh- stuck out to you guys? Questions that you have going into the last couple episodes? Um, I am all ears. Go for it, Mike. Well, we have to talk about the uh, Steve Kerr punch, right? I mean, that that was a pretty big part of this episode. So, yeah, I just, that really showed me, I mean, one, it kind of showed like an apologetic Michael Jordan, if we were to take him at face value, which I do, is that he felt really bad about it. You know, this whole idea that, yeah, I basically picked on the smallest guy on our team. And conversely, um, you know, as we kind of, we touched upon a little bit on the last podcast, but really showed the grit of Steve Kerr, man. I mean, here's a guy who like, you know, you know, whatever he would have, would have seen for 6'2", 6'2", 160, you know, uh, stepping right up to the, you know, the biggest uh, basketball player in the world and just not backing down. Like, yeah, like more profit Steve Kerr, man. Yeah, and he's got eight rings now. Go ahead, Aaron. Yeah, I, I, well, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, the, the story was always, you know, Jordan popped Steve Kerr in practice. I didn't know until last night that Steve Kerr hit him first. And hit him, you know, he didn't punch him in the face, but he punched him in the chest. And I'm sure Michael just reacted and popped him in the face, but I didn't know that Kerr punched him first. I was like, hey, man, good for him. Hey, like, Michael respected him more after that, like we were talking about earlier. You got to step up to him, and he respected Kerr. Backed up, you know, passed the ball to, to, to Kerr, hit that game-winning shot in the finals. So they were good after that. Yeah, really interesting story as well of, like, it is, it is cast as Jordan the bully, right? Uh, the part where, you know, and then I really like the fact that he kind of is like, I went back and I'm like, oh man, I just hit like the smallest guy in the team. And I think, yeah, I think that story resonates uh, a lot more if it wasn't for Steve Kerr and the type of person and character he is. I mean, I'm a big Steve Kerr guy. Like I can listen to the guy talk about anything, any opinion, basketball, not basketball all day long. And I think he has a very respectful, thoughtful way of uh, presenting his opinions and ideas. And I thought it was really interesting that, you know, Steve did it for a particular reason. And it was that exact reason to stand up to Mike. And for MJ, that was kind of the way that you could quickly get respect. He immediately recognized that seemed to apologize for it. And they seemed to have a really good relationship from then on. Uh, obviously um, illustrated with Steve Kerr hitting a game one shot to win a title at some point, you know what I mean? So um, I thought that was really interesting as well. I did like some of the Gary Payton stuff. I did really <laughs> enjoy the whole Gary Payton rationalizing about how they could have 
crept back into that series if they had done things a little bit earlier and giving it to Michael to read over the iPod is so funny to me because that's such Gary Payton bullshit. Go ahead, Aaron. Oh man. And how about, how about Michael's, you know, once again, his competitiveness coming out still going, come on, man, the glove. No, like he, he just can't help himself still. Yeah. And he could have been like, yeah, you know, Gary Payton was tough. You know, he covered me pretty tough. You know, he was a good competitor. Michael's like, come on, man. I was scared of Gary Payton. <laughs> yeah, if you guys remember that series, they got up 3-0 on them, and it looked like it was going to be a cakewalk. And honestly, they fell asleep in game four and lost that game. And you were like, oh, okay, no big deal. Like, you can't sweep a team. It's really hard to sweep a team. And then that game five, it was actually a really close game. It's just the Sonics played well, and they happened to edge out a victory at home, something that isn't a big shocker throughout the NBA playoffs and its structure. So for them to say that they could have crawled back in it is a bit disingenuous because they shut the door on him in game six. Go ahead, Mike. Well, I will say um, the thing that was interesting about that series was, uh, and I don't know if it was just hyperbole by Bob Costas, but he had, he had framed it as the biggest mismatch in finals history. So I didn't realize that the Bulls were that uh, favored in that series. Which is crazy um, because I think the Sonics won like 65 or 66 games that year, yeah, which is yeah, still yeah. an incredible season. There's only six off of the all-time record 72. So, yeah, I think that was Bob Costas kind of, yeah. kind of uh, and, you know, ginning it up a little bit. And the thing that's like uh, also, I mean, this is kind of maybe uh, uh, trying to outsmart yourself, but I mean, Gary Payton was the defensive player of the year and is known as a defensive stopper, right? Like just perennially. So that, that George Carl did not, I mean, not that it would have mattered, but just that George Carl did not put him on Jordan until game four, a little, little strange to me, a little, little uh, 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 lapse in coaching in my opinion. Yeah, go ahead, Aaron. No, we didn't really talk about it, but the whole, the, 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 the George Carl story of seeing him at the restaurant and George Carl walking by and not saying hi to Michael, a fellow North Carolina alum. And is that even Shine real? Just going, uh oh, yeah, yeah. uh oh, I shouldn't have done that, man. And it's crazy to think that Michael went. You know, he that this is what motivated him to win this championship. Nobody in the Sonics organization knew that Michael was extra motivated because their coach didn't shake his hand at dinner. You know, it's just crazy to think these guys didn't know anything about this. And just so, because their coach didn't shake hands at Michael, he was extra motivated to crush him. It's also fair to ask the question of if George Carl had come over and shook in his hand, that it Jordan would have found something else to get pissed yes. at. You know what I mean? Did like, George Carl even know he was at dinner? Like, that, that's again, like Michael creating this narrative. Like, he could have just been at dinner and then like, uh, just walked out and not yeah, knowing. You know? Have a good night. What does that mean? I'm having a great <laughs> night. Are you kidding me right now? A good night? I'm Michael Jordan. I don't have good nights. I have great nights. You know what I mean? Like, who knows what would have been, what would you have been able to spin out of that? You know what I'm saying? Go ahead, Mike. I know we're running out of time, so for me, just like that last image of him on the floor, you know, just weeping. I, I mean, I remember that image, but the one thing I did not notice all the other times seeing it was the audio of him just like literally weeping, you know, so that was crazy. That was sentimental to me, man. Uh, yeah, real quick, I, I, Yes, real quick, I was going to say I agree with Choi, because I don't think I've ever heard the raw audio. It's usually somebody talking or, or music or something, and I, I choked up during that time because you can hear him really, really breaking down. Yeah, super emotional episode, and I think this episodes 9 and 10 are going to absolutely wreck us as Bears fans. 
uh, we're going to have to be very well prepared and very well hydrated because it can get out of control pretty fast. That's going to do it for this week's episode. We're going to just covered episode eight. Thank you so much for checking us out. If you like this episode, check out the previous episodes. We just did one for seven as well today. This was Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos with my guests, Aaron Hagel and Mike Choi. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.